0: Spiritual warfare can often be the most overemphasized but least appreciated topic. And that's because in a sense, it's all-encompassing, but it can also leave us barking at shadows. And one example I had of that was this summer... I dread, I would dread my phone making any sort of notification or ringing with a text message on Monday and Tuesday nights. Because those were the times on my schedule specifically that I would have blocked out to take thoughts and put them into outlines and words in preparation for our Wednesday evening studies through 1 Peter. The thing everyone who has been faithful to pray for me for, forgot to pray for, was all the poor renters at the properties that I manage for my mother. I have never seen so many air conditioners die, and they always happened on a Monday night or a Tuesday night. And any of you who don't believe me, I will show you the text message that I got in that back corner of this room at 6.34 this evening, that they were sorry to say, but they didn't think their air conditioner was working right. And every time I would get one of those calls, I would shake my head, and I would say to myself, ah, oh, spiritual warfare. But then I stopped and I thought about it. And I said, well, then, realistically, the AC units are kind of old. None of them are spring chickens. And it's terribly hot everywhere, all the time now where we live. And that's the war, or that's the battle we can get into with spiritual warfare. Did the air conditioners break because Satan was that determined on disrupting my schedule? Or did the air conditioners break because given enough time, and enough heat and enough use air conditioners will break that's not a debate we're going to hash out this evening but i'm going to propose that it doesn't matter because the answer is the same but before we get into spiritual warfare i want to pick up the back part of verse 5 as well as verses 6 and 7 in first peter chapter 5 if you need a bible raise your hand jim bob would be happy to deliver one to you in the comfort of your seat. But you guys are all wonderful Wednesday night attendees, so Jim Bob, you can sit down. They came ready. Picking up at the end of verse 5. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Quoting there from Proverbs 3.34. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, Casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. And when I read that, I have this picture in my mind, that under the mighty hand of God is a safe and wonderful and glorious place to be. But the problem is there is not enough room under the mighty hand of God for both myself and my cares. You see, there's a little space for me and for my soul and for you and your soul, but we did not pay the baggage fee. So we either find ourselves standing over here, clinging on to the baggage of our cares, or we cast those cares upon God, and we get to nestle right there under his mighty hand, and humility is what's needed for that process. Humility is what takes us from the position where we are into a position of abiding in the Lord. One of the best quotes I've heard all year is, humility is the currency of the kingdom. And and we all know that humility isn't thinking less of yourself, it isn't thinking less of something, it's thinking rightly, it's thinking appropriately. The opposite of humility would, of course, be pride. And whenever we're thinking more of ourselves than we ought to, the first person to get squeezed out of the picture is God. But as important as humility is, I would say almost of supreme importance, into a place of protection and abiding and peace and rest under God's mighty hand, I think we need to be careful to properly address those cares that we are to cast upon Him. Because the reality is there are some cares that we have that have no business being cast upon the Lord. And that's because they're sinful cares. You see, so many of the cares that we have have roots in our flesh. Scripture tells us that worrying is a sin. Because worrying spits in the face of God's sovereignty. Worrying tells God that either He doesn't know what's going on and we need to clue Him in with our concern, or He doesn't care or He's made a mistake. God wants us to come and and rest under the shadow of His wing, but it's very hard to do that when we are accusing Him. And we do that with worry. Covetousness. We, we worry so much about the things that we have and the things that we don't have, the things that we need. And the issue is we can't take those cares and, and nestle, nestle, nestle. Nestle up under God's protective care because that rejects the sovereignty of what He would have us have. So much of our desires, the things that we want, God does not want us to have for a very good reason. We may or may not know it, but God who is sovereign has a plan. He's the giver of every good and perfect gift. So if He has not given us something, there is a reason. And He will use that for our building up and for our edification. So we can't take our worry. We can't take our covetousness. Those cares are not the ones we can throw upon Him. Why? Because He cares for us. What do you mean we can't put those cares on Him because He cares for us? Because He cares for us too much to let us be deceived. If we look back at that quote from Proverbs 3.34, we see how this works. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. That's that's one of two times we're going to encounter the word resist in our study this evening. And what's pictured there is God in all of his glory, dressed up in battle armor, stopping us. When in our pride, When when our sinful cares, our ambition, our desire for popularity, our desire for sinful pleasure, our desire for revenge or justice at our hands, our anger, when we try and carry those things under the mighty hand of God, in His love, in His care for us, He stands there and He resists us. And He says, I have so much for you. But I won't let you walk in here with that because I love you too much to let you think that that's okay. Now, in his grace, there's so much relationship we have with him. It's not like, well, get everything together and then come to me and you can rest under my mighty hand. But when we talk about the issue of spiritual warfare. Oftentimes, the affliction we encounter, we bring upon ourselves or it is a result of our flesh. Perhaps it's better if we use this analogy. We have all heard and read and identified with the truth in scripture that God's yoke is easy and His burden, His light. But sometimes in life, if life were, we're moving a friend's furniture. And a friend calls us up and say, hey, I need your help moving this couch. And that friend is Jesus. We say, okay, Jesus' burden is light. I can move this couch. And we show up. and, And we're really struggling. And we say, Jesus, your word said that your burden was light. And this is really hard. And then Jesus, in all of his wisdom looks at you and he says, well, I couldn't help but notice that you walked in here with a fully loaded backpack full of bricks. If if you would put that down outside and get that out of the way, I think you might find moving the couch a tremendously, a much easier endeavor. So that's the difference between the cares that have no business being cast upon Jesus because they need to be cast away. Now, when we're talking about the things where we come to Christ, struggling to realize the promises that he has given us in his word, the promises that we find in Matthew 6.31. We'll turn there. Matthew chapter 6, we'll start in verse 31. It says, therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. You see, God knows what we need. And so when we are in pursuit of those things and and encounter difficulties, encounter weight and heaviness and opposition, those are the things that in humility we can set at the Lord's feet. And I say in humility because the language Peter uses here is that you would submit under the mighty hand of God. You know, we, we, we imagine like, I don't want to be under a mighty hand. That sounds like I'm about to get squashed. But it's under in the sense that it's submission. God's hand is mighty. Okay? It's up here. He is in control. And in humility, we understand that everything under that is still in his control. So here we are, everything else that we're experiencing, it has not surprised God. It has not violated what God has said to us and it is not going to stop Him working in and through our lives. Because His hand is mighty. His hand over everything. His hand of sovereignty. And in a position of humility, we don't try and do things in our strength. We don't try and obtain our goals, but we submit those things and allow the Lord to fill us with what we should want, with what we should desire. I think the key to having appropriate cares that, that, that we would lay at the Lord's feet is to have a, a rather narrow circle of desires. If we were to make a list of all the things that we desire, I think that we would find that many of those need to just be crossed out. And the ones that remain, the ones that are of the Lord, those He is so faithful to take care of. But it's in His love and His care that, that He takes care of what's left on that list. And He also reveals to us, through His Holy Spirit and through His Word, what on that list just needs to be flat, crossed out. We'll go back to our passage in First Peter. Verse 8. Having taken a position of humility under God, acknowledging his sovereignty, setting aside the differences between what are our cares that are of our flesh, and what are the cares that should be entrusted to God, right? So we have the cares that are cast upon God, and then there are the cares that we have that just need to be cast out into the dumpster. And thank God for his word and his spirit that help reveal those things to us. Because so often our cares start out righteous, and our flesh will take and twist those. Any of you who Receive Paul Tripp's weekly devotional. He's currently talking about dreams and how God has given humans the unique ability to close our eyes and imagine things that do not exist. That ability to imagine, that ability to dream is key to our relationship with him. But we take that and we twist it and we pervert it. Oftentimes, it's why the Lord only leads us one step at a time. Because if he told us where we were going, we would try and get there without him. But he says, knowing all that, be sober, be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And that in one picture is spiritual warfare. The devil is very real, and he is very present in this world. We see him throughout scripture portrayed in a variety of different ways. Here, like a roaring lion. And I think there's significance to that, or significance that we can draw from that particular depiction. But before we look at that, it says to be sober and to be vigilant. To be sober, to be serious-minded, to be clear-minded. If we are in the midst of a war, which we are, we cannot afford to be distracted. Oftentimes, military forces go to great ends just to distract their enemy from what's really going on. And I'm sure we can all think of particular examples. Even uh, the the sport of football, so much of it, play action, right? The flea flicker, is to make them think that something that isn't going on is going on. So we need to be sober. We need to be serious. We can't be distracted with the things that don't matter. We need to be vigilant. We need to be watchful. We need to be prepared would be other ways to translate that. Because as we're sober minded, and and Peter has spoken to us about having our minds girded up before. That's in general. Now this is specifically just in reference to the warfare that the spiritual realm is waging on us. We need to be prepared to respond. This is an active war. We cannot be Switzerland if we're going to use the, the war analogy. We need to be prepared, and we need to be aware. Let's flip over to Ephesians 6. Ephesians 6, one of the most often referenced passages when talking about spiritual warfare, is going to give us a little bit of context as we finish our way through 1 Peter chapter 5. But beginning in Ephesians 6, verse 10, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Mighty hand. Interesting. Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For, and this is the important part for us, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. By that definition, we could say everything is spiritual warfare. And in a sense, if our eyes are on Jesus, it is. Because Satan is the ruler of this world, and many of the things that get in between us and Jesus, I don't believe to be direct injection or interference from the spiritual realm but just the results of living, living in a world that is subject to the curse that has already been corrupted by Satan. Two books I'd like to, rem- uh, I'd like to <clears throat> recommend if you would like to dive deeper into vigilance, in the area of spiritual warfare, to be prepared. Because it is very useful to know your enemy. It is very useful to be aware of the same tricks that Satan uses again and again and again. But he uses them so precisely and so effectively that they continue to cause us to stumble. They continue to slow us down. Those two books would be One at the Altar of Sexual Idolatry by Steve Gallagher. And whether or not sexual sin is something that you struggle with, that book was the first one that spoke to me this aha moment that all sin has the same roots that I was reading a book about a pursuit of sexual purity and the dangers of uh, pornography and fornication and all the things of this like, and yet it was ministering to me in a completely different way. Because it showed me that if I just change this sin of choice for this sin of choice, it's the same. Because the enemy behind the attacks is the same. It just happens to be a different weapon. And the other would be the strategies of Satan, which does much of the same thing in a different way. Now, here's my caution. I don't think that an overemphasis on spiritual warfare can be helpful. Because if we're thinking too much about the war, what are we not doing? Fighting the war. Sometimes we spend so much time and energy worrying about what Satan is doing, we don't realize that we've already lost the battle because we're not thinking about Jesus. Here, as Peter depicts Satan as a roaring lion, He depicts him as a roaring lion. But the interesting thing is Colossians 2.15 talks about how in the crucifixion, Jesus humiliated and, 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 and took away the power from the spiritual realm. So this lion, he has a very fierce roar, but he has no teeth. There's no teeth there. Let's go to Colossians 2.15, because I can't think of the verbiage and I don't have it written down, and I'm not making my point. Colossians 2.15. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it, in it being the crucifixion and the resurrection. They're disarmed. A disarmed lion still has a roar, but he has no teeth. But if we go back to that imagery of of resting in a safe place under the mighty hand of God, if that imagery doesn't work for you... Language like just abiding in the presence of the Lord. Being safe in our Father's arms. If we hear a lion roar really close to us, we can be likely to run away. We can be scared out of the safe position that we already had. And oftentimes, that's what Satan's roar is. Lies. Lies about who we are in Christ. Lies about who God is. Did God really say, Are you sure you know if you eat this, you'll be as smart as God? God's not really going to take care of your needs. You need to step up and take care of your own needs. God only loves you if you're behaving this way. That thing that you've done, it has disqualified you from God's love. Persecution, temptation, surely that was Peter's heart as he wrote to this audience, the the original audience of his letter. But whether or not what we experience as spiritual warfare is Satan or one of his associates specifically intervening in our lives or whether we're just bumping into a 6,000-year-old curse that will be in the flesh that we live in and in the world that we were born into until a new heaven and a new earth is created that's not subject to that curse. Whether or not it's either of those things, whether it's Satan poking at us or whether it's our own flesh just trying to come back from the grave, I think it's a foolish argument because it doesn't change our response. The answer is Jesus. The question is irrelevant. And we see that. Resist him. Verse 9. Steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Stay steadfast. Stay steadfast. In the faith, we could flip back to Ephesians 6 and talk about the whole armor of God, and it's a wonderful study, but the reality is we look at this from 30,000 feet on a Wednesday, truth, peace, the gospel, faith, right, a shield of faith that that protects us from the darts of the enemy, those actual attacks, those missiles, those situations, those thoughts, those encounters that are designed to push us away from the position that we already have in Christ Jesus, to push us away from that truth, the reality that that we were born again into, it's by faith. That's a It's a big, very general word, Rob. That's not helpful. (laughs) I want to fight the battle better at 7.30 than I did at 6.30. It's, It's simple, but it's not easy. The war that we fight is simple, but it's not easy we had to break down faith into bullet points, it would be prayer. It would be the Word. Both things that Peter has highlighted for us. And it would be community. Prayer, the Word, the Spirit of God, and the church. And I think that's why here writing originally to a persecuted audience He taxed that on the end. Resist him steadfast in the faith. Everything that you know about pursuing God is exactly what you need to know to resist the devil. But know this. You're not alone. You're part of a community. This is normal, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Satan's goal, to just circle back up to verse eight, 8 quickly, it says, seeking whom he may devour. Some people are concerned, oh my gosh, if, if Satan really gets his teeth into me, you know, maybe he'll snatch me away from God's hand. You know, can my, can my salvation be pulled away at the hand of Satan? No, it cannot. Your salvation is secured by the Holy Spirit, and I promise in a fight. God beats Satan. I hope everyone here can agree on that. But our salvation is sealed by the Spirit. So what does it mean to be devoured? To be made ineffectual. An ineffective life is one that has been devoured by Satan. Your soul is secure. Your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life. But your time here be it an hour, a month, a year, a week, the rest of your breaths has been made ineffective for the kingdom. That's when Satan wins. Then Peter closes in verse 10 with a prayer because that's so often the most appropriate response when our minds are drawn to spiritual warfare. He says, but may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. That not only is an appropriate response to hearing the devil's roar, if you don't know what else to do, cry out to the Lord and go from there. But verse 10 and 11 also serve as an excellent summary to the entire epistle. Everything Peter's been trying to tell us over the course of the past couple months is right there. mean, the God of all grace who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus. This is not your home. This is not your home. You have a home with your heavenly Father in heaven. Your reality is eternal. You are a soul that is inside of body that is currently taking up residency on this earth. But this is just a temporary visa. This is not your home. And because this is not your home, there will be suffering. Don't be confused. Don't be dismayed. Don't lose sight of the fact of what's waiting for you the eternal reward, the eternal reality, and the eternal glory that reflects off of Christ Jesus. Because in this suffering, in this suffering, God is working to perfect us. He's working to establish us. He's working to secure us. As far away as our eternal home feels sometimes, God is using the sufferings of this present world to lead us as we walk along the same path that Christ walked. That in those sufferings we might be made more like Him. That we might fall less and less and less in love with the world that we currently inhabit. That we might long more and more and more for fellowship with our Father. That is our taste for this world is made more and more bitter that our hunger for the Word, for the sweetness of fellowship with God would come closer and closer and closer to the front of our mouths. That when we meet with Him, that when we seek Him, we would experience that rest, that fulfillment. That all the things that we think are important are humbled, are done away with. All the things that our flesh desires, the baggage that we brought to the cross, is stripped away. Those are often painful experiences. But God, in His care for you, will take care of everything you need. And He loves you enough to put you through these experiences that when Christ returns at the revelation of His glory, when we as His church are once again face to face with Him, we'll feel at home. And we'll know it's worth it. So saints, don't forget that this world is not your home. And don't forget that in Christ, despite the sufferings, despite the pain, despite the difficulty, we have such a rich and present hope that is being worked out in us. And it's such a blessing and a privilege to get to do that with each of you and within this church. And so, Lord, we just pray we pray that that working would continue because father we read this and 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 we know it to be true in our minds and and we know it to be true in our hearts but but then lord we walk out those doors and we forget <laughs> or something gets in the way because when we're grieving when we're frustrated when we're angered when we're disgusted when we're let down. We forget that you're in control. As amendments do or don't get passed, as candidates do or don't get elected, we forget that you're in control. Father, as things go well or poorly for us, in school or at work, within our own homes, we forget that you're in control. But Father, we acknowledge right now that you are. And Father, we ask that you would continue to just refine us of all the pride and all the deception that that we have that wars with that. Father, continue to strengthen and build us up, pulling the heavenlies down until you pull us up to heaven. We pray this in your glorious Son's name who bought that ticket. Amen.